last week we started a little mini-series with myself, Pastor Paul, and Pastor Mitch, and we're just calling it this, What's on My Heart? And what we wanted to do is we want to take a little bit of time. So often we do books of the Bible, we do a certain, like we just did the patriarchs, um, we do, do a focus on something, but one thing that doesn't allow us to do is to just, you know, we, we follow whatever the scriptures say, but it doesn't allow us to just say, but there's just something I really want to talk about. And so we said, let's just do a little series called What's on My Heart, and each of us will just talk about something that seems really important and timely to us right now in the, in the day and age that we're in. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about a particular Bible character whose life has a lot to say to us today, and I'll kind of give you an idea who he is and see if you can guess who he is. He's a person, uh, a, a man, who we didn't talk about when we went through the patriarchs. We covered almost everybody of the main characters in the book of Genesis, but we didn't cover this particular character um, when we looked at him. And so this is a character found in Genesis whose life speaks to us very much today. He's not one of the patriarchs. Who might he be? Noah. Who said Noah? Right there, Noah. We're going to talk about Noah today. You go, why? Because I think, because I'm saying what's on my heart, because I really think that Noah lived in a time somewhat similar to ours. His time was worse than ours, but somewhere, somewhat similar to ours, and he stood out for good at a time of chaos and uncertainty in the world, kind of a little bit like we're facing today. So I imagine a lot of us in here know the story of Noah. Some of you may not. So let me give you a 60-second a, a synopsis of the life of Noah. The world was a total disaster, a total mess. God saw that it was a mess, and God concluded this. The world is unfixable, so he told Noah to build a huge boat that he called an ark, and he did build the ark, and God caused um, a pair of every kind of animal on the earth to come to Noah in the ark, and then Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives all went into the ark. God caused a flood. Everything's in the world wiped out. At the end, God caused something in the sky to remind us that they'll never again flood the earth. What was it? A rainbow. Don't forget, that's what a rainbow is really all about. A rainbow is a promise from God that he'll never flood the earth again. So, isn't it interesting, and that's pretty much the story of, of Noah, isn't it interesting that I can summarize those events in like under a minute, and that if you are parents or grandparents, you probably have bought a, a, a children's Bible for your kids or your grandkids, and you have the story of Noah and the ark in that little kid's Bible, and it's so cute. There's little, you know, little uh, elephants sitting, sticking out of the ark, and, and it's a cute little boat, and Noah's a nice smiling guy, and, and you take your kids and you talk to them about the whole story. But I want you to think about it for a minute. That 60-second synopsis I did and that little story with cute little cuddly animals was the most horrible, destructive, massive event that has ever been seen on planet Earth. The destruction of everything except for eight people and a handful of animals in order to start everything over from scratch. This brings up a huge question for me. It's the biggest event of all time. Why? 
Why such an extreme measure by God? And why in the world did God choose Noah, of all people, what made him so special? That God would choose him, wipe everybody else out, and the rest of them, his wife and his kids, just went along for the ride. God chose Noah and his family. Why? Look at your Bibles. Open the book of Genesis. Your Bible ought to open right to Genesis because we just spent a couple months talking about all the patriarchs. So a little bit earlier than that, Genesis chapter 6. We're just going to look at a couple verses to start off this morning. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verses 5 through 7. Now in a little while, I'm going to just make a reference to to verses 1 through 4. You've got to read those later. Because I'm a little reference about it, you're going to go, what in the world is this all about? Let's start in chapter, verse 5, though. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of the hearts was only evil continually. What a terrible commentary. Verse 6, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land and from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. What it says here. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man and that every intent of their thoughts, of their heart, was only evil continually. Said there was nothing good about man. Verse 11, just a few verses later, adds this. And the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. See, God had created the world wonderful and good. He had placed Adam and Eve in the garden where they lived in the innocence of a world without the corruption of sin. But they had chose to listen to Satan instead of God, and they welcomed the corruption of sin into their lives. And what we find here is that corruption had increased and increased and increased and eventually affected mankind until it got to the breaking point for God when he said it's just beyond repair. And that's the period of time that we then find Noah. God looked at the world, filled, he said, with violence, And he looked at the corruption of man, and he said the thoughts of their hearts, of all of them, are only evil continually. He looks at humanity and realizes humanity is unfixable. Humanity had gone too far. Now, a little side note about having gone too far here, and that's what I was referring to Genesis 6, 1 through 4. You can read it later. One of the theories that theologians have about why it had gone so bad because 1 through 4 talks about um, the sons of God have, connecting with the daughters of man and having people of renown and the Nephilim giants are in the land and, and this kind of stuff that we don't exactly know what it's about. And scholars, some scholars believe that what it was a case on the earth had happened, the corruption had happened because fallen angelic beings had been having relations with human females and they created a corrupt line of not angelic beings, not human beings, but something corrupt, so that the flood at this time was really God's way of saving mankind from total corruption. Now you can go back and read verses 1 through 4 and ask the Lord if that's what it means. I'm not exactly sure. It's an interesting theory about the Nephilim, giants, being the result of a union between angels and mankind. And it is possible 
that that's what it means. It would give a lot of, it'd give some more understanding to the reason why God would say, I've got to wipe out all mankind and start over because he's rescuing humanity. But whether or not that was the case right then, we know this. The world was completely corrupt. So corrupt that God himself, it says, was grieved in his heart and was sorry that he created, that he ever even created mankind. So he knows he must stop the corruption. He knows he must stop the violence. He knows he must stop the perversion. And he could have just wiped out all of humanity. After all, he's the creator. He made it. He can end it. And he can do whatever he pleases. But this is what we know about God. God is love. That's what 1 John tells us. God is love. And God loves mankind And so what God wanted to do in his love was to rescue mankind. So he chose to give mankind a fresh start. And the question is, how do you give mankind a fresh start when it's completely wicked and all the thoughts of your heart are only evil continually? Maybe there's this corrupt line on the earth. It's completely out of control. How do you do it? Well, every time God has had to rescue mankind, he does it in a similar way. He uses a person. He uses a man. This is something we find over and over in the scriptures. When God is attempting to rescue mankind, he chooses a person to work through. He chooses a Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. He chooses here a Noah to to be the the new founder of a brand new humanity on planet earth. He uses Esther to rescue the Jewish nation. He uses the apostle Paul to, to reach the Gentiles. He uses Isaiah the prophet to try to rescue the kingdom of Israel. And of course, most of all, he uses Jesus to rescue all humanity from their sin. Sometimes we find in scripture people listen, and sometimes we find that people don't listen. So God used the person. So what happens here? God looked across the landscape of the world. He saw the corruption of humanity, and he said, one man stands out. Look in chapter 6 with me, verses 8 and 9. Look what he says about Noah. Wouldn't you love this to be said about you? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know what? There is nothing greater on planet earth that could ever be said about you or me than fill in the blank, your name. Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then verse 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. What an amazing statement. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I find this a completely, not only a great statement, but an amazing statement. Somehow Noah, living in the midst of a culture that was the worst it could ever be, was able to live his life in such a way that he was noticed by God. He was that much different than the people around him. Imagine imagine the strength of character that must have took for him to stand alone in a world where everybody else was going exactly the opposite way. He didn't act like the culture around him. He didn't give in to the pressures. He stood alone. And I really think this. I think Noah needs to be the poster child for every one of us today. Your kids want a poster on their bedroom wall? Do kids still put posters on their bedroom wall? They do? Okay. Get them a picture of Noah. Not 
can't remember her name now, who's dating the football player. Taylor Swift. Not Taylor Swift. I don't have kids that age anymore, so not Taylor Swift. Get a poster of Noah and put it on their wall and say, that's who you want to be when you grow up. You want to be the person that can stand in the midst of a culture gone crazy. Because friends, none of us, I don't think, would disagree today to say our culture is pretty messed up. We have all the violence you could ever imagine. You can't hardly drive through the north side of Milwaukee. We live in a violent world. And we have all the perversion. We have to send teams to, to Las Vegas to try to rescue little kids that have been kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. That we have to do it. And we're going to break the city into 48 parts and there's that many people willing to come and say let's rescue children in just that one city that day it's going it's it's going on all over the world every day right now we live in a perverse world yet noah shows us that it is possible to live above the culture it's possible to raise your children to live above the culture but their model has to be noah not somebody else It's possible to live for God when seemingly no one else around you is living for God. So what was it about Noah that made him stand out? What made him special? Verse 9 explains it. Kind of gives an overview. It doesn't give exact details, but an overview of it. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. You know, we see three things that here that defined Noah's life. That explained why God would say this guy is special. This is why he stood out. First of all, it says Noah was a righteous man. What's he mean there? Well, it can't mean that he was perfect because no person is perfect. The Apostle Paul, quoting the psalmist, said this, There is none righteous, no, not one. We know that. None of us is right. Noah wasn't perfect. But usually when the Old Testament uses the word righteous, it means something like this. He was a good person. Someone who was keeping the the moral law. Now, they didn't have the law yet given by Moses, but the moral law, this idea of right and wrong, was living that kind of life. So Noah being righteous is really about he did what was right, that he was a good man who lived according to what would be God's standards of behavior. In the context here, I believe, because it doesn't give exact details, it would be pointing to the good things he did. He probably was a man who cared for others. He probably was a kind man. He's probably a generous man, probably a helpful man. He was surely an obedient man. When God says, hey, go build a boat so big that you can take two of all the animals in it, and they go, what's a boat? Well, it's going to be this big thing, and, you know, I'm going to flood the world. What's rain? Flood the world. What do you mean? You know, they didn't understand what that was. He was an obedient man. He did what God asked him to do. He was a righteous man. God, it says, took notice of him because he, of what he did right. But in addition to that, in addition to being righteous, it also says he was blameless in his time. He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. Now, this doesn't have as much to do with what he did that was good, but rather what he didn't do. The things that he didn't involve himself in, the things that the culture around him was doing that he chose to not do. There was nothing he did that others could blame him for. He was righteous, the good things he did. He was blameless. There was nothing people could say, I'm going to blame him for that. Kind of like this. 
you get involved in activities as a Christian and the people around you who aren't believers say they justify their actions on what they do that is improper by saying, but you do that and you're a Christian. It's saying this about Noah. He didn't do that. He was blameless. So where righteousness is about what, we did, what, what he did, blameless is about what he didn't do. He didn't engage with everyone else around him doing the sinful and hurtful and violent and evil things that they did. That had to be, I would imagine, incredibly difficult in a society that it says here was totally given over to sinfulness. And I really do think this is a lot to say to us today. I'm going to sound really old in what I'm going to say right now. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm turning into an old, an old guy. But I want to say this, and I'm, also, I'm completely, as your pastor, completely sincere in what I'm saying here. It wasn't that long ago, and I'm not going to say there was a golden age and people were perfect. That's not at all what I'm saying, because there's none righteous, no, not one. But it wasn't that long ago that when someone said they were a Christian, that person acted significantly differently than the surrounding culture. Matter of fact, when I got saved, they think calls us things like this, like Jesus freak or Bible thumper. They weren't being kind when they said those things to us. When I got saved and I was working in a print shop in West Bend and all the people said, what happened to him? He needs to see a psychiatrist. He's now happy all the time. I'm going, something's wrong because I'm happy all the time, where before I was mad all the time and I was drunk all the time, and now you think it's something's wrong with me because I'm not drunk all the time and I'm happy. But they thought I was not. Something's wrong with me in Wisconsin. That's crazy, right? And so the thing is, when I got saved, they, they, they said derogatory terms like, you're a Jesus freak, you know? And so it wasn't that long ago when a person got saved, you noticed it. It's like they acted differently, but it seems like today, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just getting old and I don't see it, but it feels like today, maybe in an effort, maybe this is a theological thing we did, in an effort to befriend people who don't yet know Christ, wanting to be all things to all men, we've somehow slipped away so that when a person now says they come to Christ, a lot of times I don't see much of a difference in how they act and the things they engage in. And what's pointed out about, Mo, about Noah here is there were things that he did do that were good, but there are things he didn't do that were bad, like the culture around him. And it just seems to me that we need to take our cues from a guy like Noah and to say, you know what, maybe, maybe we as pastors have made a mistake and it's done so much effort to try to tell people how to reach the lost and how to connect with lost people that maybe we didn't say enough, but you don't understand. But you gotta, you gotta be like, you gotta be like Noah in the midst of this garbage world. You gotta, you gotta live different. You gotta think different. You gotta act different because you are different. You now are. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You were spiritually dead, now you're spiritually alive. When that happens, things change within us. And so if it's the church's fault, I apologize on behalf of the church, but listen, let's follow the culture, let's follow Noah. Because the world's not getting easier. It's not getting easier to serve Jesus. And a lot of you are raising kids and influencing grandkids. 
And let me tell you something. We get one crack at it. There's no... Any golfers in here? I'm not a golfer, much of a golfer, but there's one thing I do know from golfing. I know what a mulligan is. You know why I know what a mulligan is? Because I need to use them. A mulligan goes, you hit, go hit the ball, whack, and it's supposed to go that way, and it goes that way. You go mulligan, you throw another ball down, you hit it again. You don't get to do that when you're raising your kids, you're influencing your grandkids. You got one crack. And if we let them believe that they can just act like the rest of the world in such a way that they're literally no different or engaged in... All, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the good things of the world. I'm talking about the garbage of the world. That we're just so engrossed in the garbage of the world and we don't stand out as different because we act different. We spend our money different. We spend our time different so that we'd be noticed by God. Then how can you be surprised when your kid just act like the world and you go, oh my goodness, I lost them for Jesus. Here's the deal. You know, there's, no, there's no mulligans in this. This is just talking to you as your pastor. Because I love our kids and I love our grandkids and I love you. Think about this. Noah lived so much different that he was noticed by God because of what he refused to be involved with. You know, a little while ago, Suzanne pointed out to me a Facebook post that a person, it wasn't from our church, but a person who we knew who was like total, you know, openly says they're a Christian. I'm not questioning their salvation. But the post is about a recent political situation. And we know how much that's just unified the world, right? Politics over the last couple of years. But one of the responders who also was a very Christian person in their persona, at least what they put on Facebook, literally said that everyone from the other political party should be killed. And they meant it. But I've heard things like this all the time. Well, it just, just, just nuke them, you know, just nuke the Iranians. Just nuke the whoever. I hear that from Christian people all the time. Just nuke them. You know? And we were talking about it, we just couldn't believe it. This person's, you know, I love Jesus, kill all the people. I love Jesus, kill them, they don't like them. You know, and, and they weren't kidding. It wasn't a joke. And we talked about it, and we thought how much it must grieve the heart of God. How much God would go, um, you're just as violent as they are. When we were just at the Women's Care Center banquet, I don't know, you know, the Women's Care Center, we support awesome organization. Suzanne and I just had to go to their, their big fundraiser of the year, and I got to speak for a few minutes. They gave me this job. They said, rip their rip their hearts out so they give lots of money. Um, so that was my job, to rip their hearts out uh, so they give lots of money, and it worked. Um, but uh, they, they set an all-time record. They raised in a couple hours like $450,000 in a couple hours. It was awesome. Praise the Lord. But a priest got up. He was one of the supporters. And he got up and he was talking about doing ministry in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he said a brilliant thing. He said, never have I been around so many people fighting for peace that are so full of hate. And I thought, he hit the nail on the head. Never have I been around a group of people because all the people are fighting for justice. He said, they're all fighting for peace. But they're so full of hate. Noah was different than that. And friends, we get to be different. We can't change what anybody else is like, but we can, we can make sure we live more like Noah than we do the Facebook person who says, everybody on the other side ought to just be killed. That fits more in the world that God said, you know what, it's too far gone. Let me just, 
let me just flood the whole thing. I'm not saying God's not going to do that again that way, but he's coming back. So, you know, think of this, church. If God noticed that Noah did not do the stuff like the culture and he did do good things, don't you think he notices when we do the kind of stuff like the culture that, that we shouldn't do? You know, I think we should, a really good thing for us to ask ourselves today as we're looking at Noah, why I wanted to do this topic is I wanted us for us, you for you, me for me, to be able to look at my own life and says, am I doing some stuff that if I don't want God to notice? Should I act one way in church on Sunday morning, but I'm involved in a bunch of other garbage, whatever it is, just like the world around me, and I, I hope in God's not taking notice. Well, the point of, one of the points of this text is, He's noticing. Because he noticed what they all did, and he said, I'm going to destroy the world. He noticed what Noah did that was good, and what he didn't do that was evil. And it says, this guy is a special guy. He's the guy I'm going to use. So Noah stood out. Because what he did do that was positive, and because of what he didn't do, refused to do the things of the world around him that were negative. Now, there's one more thing that's pointed out about Noah that made him stand out as special to God. It says, you know, he, the good things he did, the bad things he didn't do, and it just says this. Now, let me just summarize it. Noah walked with God. Now, this is only said about one other person in the Old Testament, Enoch. It's a you know, kind of crazy story. Enoch was just like them, and he walked with God so closely that God just said, uh, I'm taking you. And God just took him. Think about this for a second. Total side note. We weep and wail when a Christian, you know, dies and, you know, goes, maybe they die early or whatever, and we're so sad because of the loss. But God's reward for Enoch is he said, this world stinks. I'm taking you away from it. I'm bringing you into my presence. Being with the Lord's a gift. It's the greatest gift of all. So this is the only other guy that it just said he walked with God, and God took Enoch. So two guys in the whole Old Testament that God says this about. And what I really... If I could rewrite the Bible, and I'm not trying to say I could do better, but I would change the order here. Because I would just say this. I would say he walked with God belongs before the other two things. See, because Noah walked with God, he was righteous and blameless. And it's really important, the order here. In living in a crazy world, the order is really important. See, the thing that made Noah stand out in the world going wild was his heart for God. He had an established ongoing, real-life relationship with God before the flood. That relationship was in place, think about this, in place and healthy before the flood came. And it was because of his established relationship that God spoke to him, built the boat, and rescued him from danger, said, get in, I'm closing the door. And it's just such an important principle. Because having an established walk with God before the problems arise, then we know this, then we'll have God to rely on during the time of difficulty. You know what I can't understand about part of the Christian world today? Is this fear about what's coming next. Um, getting all concerned and getting all ready for what's coming next. And Here's the deal. If you have an established walk with the Lord today, 
He'll take care of you as you go through the stuff tomorrow. That's the principle here. If you walk with the Lord today, he'll do what he has to do to help you. Now, maybe part of it is saying, get ready. I'm not saying that he told no to get ready. But I'm saying, you don't have to worry and fret. Because God, if you have an established relationship with the day, will take care of you tomorrow and ultimately takes care of you like Enoch. He goes, you know what? Time to come home. That's what we have. We don't have to be worried. We don't know what's ahead for all of us. No one knows except one person, God. But if we are truly walking with the Lord, then he will be with us during whatever storms may arise. And friends, that's just wonderful assurance. We can live at peace. He becomes our source of strength and hope. Because no matter, the, the world's not as bad as it was then, but it's pretty crazy. But man, you know what, how we can get through it? Walk with God. Live righteously and be blameless. I believe God's just going to take care of us. Why doesn't the worship team come up here this morning? You know, maybe you're here today and you don't have that peace that comes from walking with Jesus. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you don't have that peace that comes with walking with Jesus like Noah did. Here's what I know from the truth of Scripture. That you can today say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've been the Lord of my own life to this point. I don't want to be Lord of my life. I want to turn direction and I want to follow you. Because a lot of people have this idea, just I want to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It says the devil believes in Jesus and shudders. No, I believe that Jesus, who Jesus says is, and I choose to follow him. I choose to follow his way. So Noah was doing he was just following the Lord's direction. Do this, do this stuff that's positive stuff. I don't think he had, it wasn't written down yet. He didn't just say, well, the law says do this. No, he just knew because he walked with Jesus, I'm going to help that person. He just knew because he walked with, Je- walked with the Lord, I'm not going to get involved in that garbage. That's what walking with Jesus is all about. If you're ready to say, I want to do that, you can do that today. Say this. Just in the depths of your heart, you say, Jesus, I'm tired of going it alone. And Lord, the world is a mess. And there's no way I can navigate it, no way I can figure it out. But I want to live my life in such a way that I can walk with you, follow you, and trust in you. So today, I'm asking you, Lord, welcome me into your family. Wash away all the junk from my life that doesn't belong. And now show me what it is to follow you. So on this day, I give my life over to you. And I want to become your follower today. So receive me into your family, Jesus. Amen. When you pray a prayer like that, the Bible says, not Mark, the Bible, says that if you do that, there's more of a celebration in heaven than over a hundred people who are sitting here already when one person says yes to the Lord. So when you say yes to the Lord, there's a big old party going on in heaven. There's a big party going on here too. You say yes to the Lord, we'd like to help you. 
So I'm going to encourage you to do something before you go to sleep tonight. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, tell somebody that you know that's a follower of Jesus. Today I decided to follow Jesus. It's going to cement it in your soul and it's also going to give them permission to say, how can I help you along your journey? There's one last thing I want us to think about today before we close. You say, I already know Christ as my Savior, my Lord. I've been living with Him, but just talking about Noah, talking about the fact that he was righteous and blameless. Meaning, he did the good things, but he didn't do the bad things. And as I talked about that, something went on inside of you, a little, a little, a little twinge, a little twinge that said, yeah, I kind of think that might apply to that in my life. I'm going to challenge you before you leave here today. You spend a few minutes with the Lord and you take whatever that is and you hold it up before the Lord and you give it to Him. You say, God, I want to move past this. This involvement, this whatever. I'm going to give it over to you and I'm going to ask you for your strength of character within me to help me walk out this life that is more Christ-like. So Father, I just thank you for every person in this place. And Lord, if there's things you're pointing out to us today, we know you only point them out to us because you love us, because you want the absolute best for us. So today, Lord, I hand that thing over to you. And Lord, I don't want to walk out until I'm serious about it, until I've done some business with you. Because I want to be like, I want to be like Noah in this day. Let the world get crazy. I can't change that, but I can, I can stand out. Lord, I just ask that you'd, I don't know what the term could be today, but we'd live so different that we'd be the Jesus freaks. The world look at us and go, man, you're different. Let go in a good way. Lord, help us become more like